Well, good morning. I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word, at last, to the letter of Ephesians. We have done several preparatory sermons getting us ready to look at this letter as we have looked at a few chapters from the book of Acts where we have the ministry um, in Ephesus described in terms of how it began and some of the, the powerful things that took place in the people as well as through the people. Uh, look at some of the challenges that they had uh, from confrontation with the world. We looked at an, an exhortation uh, to protect the ministry uh, from false teachers and false teaching. And then we looked uh, last week at um, the letter to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. A letter um, that, uh, where Jesus is, is talking to the church. Uh, and he's talking to the church in Ephesus um, about 50 years after what we had looked at in, in, in the book of Acts. What we found is that they had done a very good job of maintaining the truth, keeping out false teachers, keeping out false teaching, but what they had failed to do was to do all of that through love. They had lost their first love, and so they were called to, to remember from where they had fallen, to repent, and then to redo the, the things that they had done at the beginning. This brings to our attention then that even in a church like Ephesus where there was this powerful, powerful coming of the gospel and this initial powerful change that was taking place because of the gospel, we see that this beginning is something that needs to grow and it needs to mature. That's what we see here in the letter to the Ephesians. Paul is writing to encourage this church. He's writing about six to eight years after he had been there, uh, encouraging them uh, with regards to them maturing in the faith. I'm going to read from a couple of key um, verses here uh, with the letter to the Ephesians so that we can get the big picture of where we will be heading in this series. So I'm not going to tell you which verses. I'm just going to read them together. Oh, I bet th but the slide's given away. <laughs> Marie just reminded me, so I can't be as, as, as tricky as I thought. This is the word of our God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bring many cares and concerns into this service. We bring many voices that we can hear in our heads and in our hearts. And so we ask this morning, Lord, that you would help to clear away those other voices that we would make room for only hearing yours. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see the Christ that lives and reigns and is speaking to us through his word this morning. And Lord, give us the faith to trust him enough that we will devote ourselves wholly and completely to him in a fresh way in this coming week as we live as your people who are filled by the Holy Spirit by which Christ lives in us and through us. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, you can tell from the verses that I just read where we will be headed. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church, as we said, that have experienced these amazing, powerful, uh, uh, amazing, powerful reception of the gospel. They have experienced an amazing and powerful um, proclamation of the gospel. The Holy Spirit came upon uh, the converts in Ephesus in a powerful way. There were some, uh, some unusual manifestations of power as uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, we are told through, through his service to Christ that there were healings. But we also see that more normal work of the Spirit, working in the people's lives, convicting them of sin, and them responding with confessing that sin and, and burning the things, uh, doing away with the things that they used to carry out that sin, even to a great cost to themselves. But this church, as powerful as all that stuff is, This church is immature. This church needs to grow. You see, when we are talking about the church of Jesus Christ, we are talking about the followers of the one who is not dead. And I think if we're honest with ourselves here this morning, I think we can all say that there are times that when we reflect upon who we are as the people of God, it can sometimes, without us really meaning to do this, we can think of Jesus only in regards to the past. Part of that is the way that our coming to Christ has shaped that. We have come to Christ as those living many, many, many generations after his earthly ministry. We come to Christ through the ministry of the word that is describing that past 
earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And that word, like in Acts, in Revelation, that described for us his heavenly ministry in the past. And sometimes it gets difficult for us in the midst of our everyday challenges. Raising children, trying to provide for our families, trying to take care of ailing and aging loved ones, and all the different things that come with this life, sometimes we get tricked or we become passive in the way that we are interacting with God, and sometimes we can start thinking of Jesus more in terms of the past and not as much in terms of the present. What Paul is doing for us here from the very beginning of this letter is he is setting the living Christ before us as letting us understand that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He is a spokesman. He is one who has a special calling who has heard from, who has been taught by Jesus Christ and has now been called to represent Christ in a very special way. To represent Christ, to speak on behalf of Christ. And from the very beginning here, the Apostle Paul, as we read this letter, we are, being, we are, we are having this letter framed for us. That what we are interacting with is the living Christ. This is the Christ who not only came to earth in that first incarnation. This is the Christ that not only did live on earth and, and eat food like we eat food and sleep like we sleep. Who cried and who wept, who laughed and rejoiced who lived with the same temptations and understood the same pressures. He knew what it was to be human in every way, the writer of Hebrews tells us, yet without sin. And this Jesus died on the cross, but he did not remain dead. And beloved, this is what makes us a Christian church is that we are followers of the one who was dead but, raised, but was raised again. We are followers of the one who is alive. We are followers of the one who is still overseeing the ministry of his father. We are those who follow the one who still speaks to his people and calls us to him in a fresh way over and over and over and over. When we come to this letter of, of Paul to the Ephesians, make no doubt what we are coming to is the living word of Jesus Christ. Not the living word of Jesus Christ from the past, but the living word of Jesus Christ that he has for you and that he has for me today. What it means to be a Christian is that we are those who are of the resurrection. We, as a body of believers, are followers of the one who was dead but is alive. We are those who embody 
the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ here on earth. This is no simple introduction where Paul is just merely asserting his authority to say what he's saying in order to get people to listen. He is framing for us from the very start who he is speaking for and therefore who is speaking through him. We have this word from our Savior, Jesus Christ, that by his will and the will of his Father, Paul has been brought out of death and into life. You can read about this in Acts. You can read about that powerful encounter that Paul had. But more important than that past encounter that Paul had with Jesus on that road to Damascus is the emphasis of who Paul is now currently serving as a witness to that resurrected Christ. And he serves as a witness to that resurrected Christ as one who is participating in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Paul is an ambassador of the heavenly places to those who are citizens of the heavenly places, yet who are living outside of their true home. Beloved, make no mistake, this is not some letter in the past to a different group of people. This, this is a heavenly correspondence from Christ to you because you as his people who are called to participate in his resurrection life and to bear witness to that resurrection life, you do so in, this, in a setting of death. Have you ever thought about that? That the world as it has existed since the fall of Adam is a world that now consists of death. It is a world that is now marked by death. The people that you come into contact with are going to die. The things that are here are going to die. And the death that now marks this generation that we live within is not merely a physical death with regards to the cessation of life. It is a death in which we see the truth of God being rejected over and over and over again. It is a place of death where things of death are preferred over life. Now, don't jump right now to politics. I know every one of you is tempted to jump to politics. But the culture of death in which we live has a lot more to do than just with the issue of abortion. Beloved, we live in the midst of death. And what is so difficult for us is that we become accustomed to its stench. And by that, I don't mean that you go out of here and you live radical lives of sin. What I mean is that most often, only the most egregious examples of that culture of death catch our attention. And the little things seem to go unnoticed. 
unkind words, unkind facial, facial expressions. See, those things seem very subtle, don't they? They don't seem like that big a deal. They are manifestations of death. When we cry to get our way, when we throw tantrums to get what we want, these are all manifestations of death. And we all know in here that the tantrums are not just thrown by the children. Just ask my wife. There are manifestations of death all around us because it is the air that encompasses this world. It's the air that we breathe as those who are citizens of the heavenly places. And it becomes so easy. One of my favorite commercials in the last year, and I forget, I have no idea what they're advertising. That's what makes it a good commercial is uh, these commercials about becoming nose-blind to things. And, and what I love is, like, the, I, th- I think one of them is about a guy that has a bunch of dogs and has them in his car. And he doesn't notice it at all, but his friends, they, they picture the car as this giant nose driving down the road. So simple mind, simple entertainment. But it is a fascinating reality that we can, that we can become nose-blind to the smells that we are around on a daily basis. And beloved, you and I become nose blind to the stench of death because of the culture that we live in, because it is the air that we breathe in a fallen world. And God knows this. And in knowing this, he doesn't wag his finger at us, oh, I can't believe you guys become nose blind. It's, I know you become nose blind. And so I'm going to set something before you that will allow you to rise above the smells that you have become accustomed to, to breathe in the fresh air and the true aroma of the heavenly places so that as you go back down into that stench of death in remembering that bouquet of the heavenly places, you will become that bouquet to the people who are around you. That's what Ephesians is about. And Paul, as a representative of the alive, now reigning, breathing, speaking Jesus Christ, serves as a witness and a participant in this heavenly life of Jesus Christ, and he is now spreading it before us like a feast on a table. And so who is he writing to? But notice that he is writing to the saints. He's not writing to the Christians. Now he is, but that's not what is said here. In this particular letter, it doesn't say he's writing to the church. There are other letters that he says that. Here he says that he is writing to to the saints. These are the holy ones. The word that is used here for saint is the same word that's used for holy, except for holy as an adjective has been turned into holy as a noun. 
To be a saint is to be one who is holy. To be a saint is to be one who is counted as holy. To be a saint is to be one who embodies holiness. That's what it means to be a saint. It doesn't mean that you've done a certain number of miracles that have been attested and you get to have some cool phrase in front of your name. To be a saint is to be one who is, as we see here, in Christ Jesus. To be a saint is one who has experienced the call of God out of death into being alive in Jesus Christ and is now partaking in that aliveness of Christ. You are one who is no longer only a citizen of death. You are one who is now a citizen of the heavenly places. A saint is one who has experienced the new birth. But more than that, a saint is one who is experiencing the ongoing coming aliveness that comes with knowing God. When you and I come to Christ, when we are saved by Christ, when we are called out of death and into life, what I have been putting before you in the images of death and in, 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 in the, the fragrance of death, what I'm putting before you is this. You and I, until we go to heaven or until Christ comes back in the fullness of his glory, you and I exist within two realities simultaneously. We are those who have been born alive in Christ, who have been made citizens of the heavenly places. We are those who now enjoy that citizenship, but we are also those who are still here in the muck and in the mire. And the challenge for each and every one of us, the challenge for me on a daily basis, is what is going to dominate me more? My citizenship on earth or my citizenship in the heavenly places? What's going to dominate me more? The realities of who I am here on earth or the realities of who I am in the heavenly places? Now, that sounds kind of easy, right, when I put it in those terms. Well, of course, you're a pastor. You should be wanting the heavenly places to dominate more, of course. And I would say, well, of course. That's true. But do you know what something like worry is? Worry is having the realities of earth dominate the realities of heaven. You know what fear is? It's the realities of earth dominating the realities of heaven. You know what unkindness is? You know what lying is? You know what self-centeredness is? I can keep listing things. See, we tend to think of this reality of, of earthly and heavenly as these big, huge, massive things, and they are. But these big, huge, massive things are contained in very little things. And we are either sowing to the earthly or sowing to the heavenly. And most of the time, the overwhelming amount of the time in ways in which you are not even consciously aware. The saints 
are those who are trusting. Now, in the ESV, it says here, to the saints and faithful in Christ. When you, if you're a, a grammar nerd like me and you diagram and do all this, you'll see um, that this article, the, the is, mo- is modifying both saints and faithful. And in the ESV, they've translated this word as faithful. There are many other um, English translations that have done that as well. But the word here is a word that you really have to take note of contextually. It's a word that can mean faithful. It's also a word that can mean trusting. This is the root word that the word faith comes from. And so some, have, some translators have taken this as faithful. Others take it as a faithful, meaning it's a description of who they are. Um, others have taken it as trusting, as a description of what they are doing. I take it as trusting because who they are has already been established by calling them saints. Who are they in Christ Jesus? They are those who have become alive and are, and are growing and partaking in the holiness of God. And what does it look like to have been brought alive and to be partaking in this holiness of God? It looks like trust. It looks like faith in action. It looks like someone who is at least attempting to let go more and more of self-control in order to embrace Christ's kingdom. To be a saint, to be one who is trusting in Christ Jesus is that you have come alive to God. You have come alive to his existence. You have come alive to his will. You have come alive to his kingdom, his power, his glory. And as you come alive to that, you start to trust it. And you and I both know that in that trusting process, we also will test it. Trusting is a way in which we take that aliveness that we have experienced and we grow and we mature. It's as we increase in our understanding, we increase in our participation. One of the reasons that we do test is because we want to really see that God is worthy of us giving ourselves over to him more and more. And as, we tr- and as we test and as we experience his faithfulness, we do start to hand over things a little bit at a time. But if we're all honest in here, none of us have a sanctification chart with an arrow that goes steadily up. And that's because becoming alive and growing doesn't happen that way, does it? We think of coming alive in Christ as being this powerful, momentous occasion that we just ride for the rest of our lives until he returns or we go, go to him in death. But the reality is growth is usually slow and it is painful That growth is typically marked by fatigue. It's usually marked by confused decisions. It's usually marked by mistakes. 
And that is because as you grow, one of the things you come to learn more and more is just how out of control you actually are. And with coming alive to God and Jesus Christ, you come to realize how in control your living, breathing Savior is. We don't like this as Americans. We like the idea of growth, but we loathe the conditions in which growth normally takes place. We want it to be easy. We don't want it to cost us much. We want it to be something that we can plug a couple of principles into and voila, we've grown. But just as what we see in our children, as we watch them grow and as we watch them struggle, and that the more mature they become, actually the more, the, the, the more uncertain their lives seem to be, that is also the reality in the Christian life. And so the Apostle Paul here, in laying before us the words of the living Christ to those who have partaken in his living essence as those participating in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from the very beginning to those who have been brought to new life but who need to mature in that life that they have in Christ, what he begins with is a blessing from the heavenly places. Beloved, there is a reason that I begin every worship service with what is called here the apostolic greeting. It is a greeting that I, as an ordained man, have the privilege of saying on behalf of the living Christ to you. That at the very beginning, as we know that we are being gathered here by our triune God to participate in that worship service that is always going on in the heavenly places, you come as those who bring a lot of baggage, you bring a lot of problems, you bring sin, and you bring all kinds of things to this place because we are people in the process of trusting. We are people in the process of growing. We are people in the process of maturing. And as you come into this place, what I want you to hear and what God in Jesus Christ wants you to hear as you come into his presence is grace and peace. Because, beloved, you live in a culture of death that gives you the opposite of grace and peace every day. And your hearts and your minds and your wills come wrestling within themselves because of that lack of grace and peace that you have consciously experienced. And so you need to consciously experience together that declaration from Jesus Christ over you as it is a blessing and a benediction to you that the living Christ who sees, as we saw from Psalm 33, who sees everything that you have gone through this week, as he begins in speaking to you in the order of service, he begins with a benediction of grace and peace. 
You, beloved, as partakers of the resurrection, are those who have received demerited grace. It's not just grace that you don't deserve. It's the grace that is opposite of what you do deserve. You have worked against it, but Christ bestows it in a fresh way when you come to him. And the peace that Christ has secured with his heavenly Father for you is a peace that he continues to give to you over and over and over. To grow in Christ, to grow in becoming worthy of the calling with which we have been called brothers and sisters is nothing less than growing more and more in our conscious reception of the grace of and peace of Jesus Christ so that in experiencing his ongoing resurrected life, we will be practitioners of that resurrection as we give ourselves more and more to, in devotion to him and as we seek to watch him take more and more control of our lives as we participate not only in the truth of Christianity, but as we are those who are participating in Christ. And so, beloved, as we begin to look at this letter to Ephesians, as the title tells you, what we will be looking at is nothing less than a reminder of the truth that we need to grow in the faith of Christ as those who have a shared life and mission in this peacemaking Christ. Beloved, grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for this amazing truth and reality that is something that we can't see, we can't handle, we can't touch, we can't taste. And yet it is more real than anything else that we can. Everything right now, Lord, that we can touch and handle and taste is passing away. It will not last. Every experience that we have here within this earthly life, Lord, that is not a participation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is participating in a reality that is temporary. And yet, Lord, we like to exalt the temporary up into something that is more authoritative for us than the eternal realities of who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray and we beg and we ask you to reorient our faith and to reorient our trust, and to reorient our practices as your people, that we might sow more and more and more to the realities of the things that we cannot see that will last forever, and let go of more and more of those things that we can see that are passing away. Lord, bless us, we pray as we follow you as your saints, learning to trust you more and more. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.